some of you know a little bit of my background in that I was very shy and quiet growing up. Now, that doesn't mean I was humble. That means I was prideful. <laughs> and just because someone's shy and quiet doesn't mean that they are a humble person. I know there's a lot of selfishness in there, a lot of pride. And, and the Lord called me to be an evangelist when I was 15 years old. And I argued it with the Lord. I said, uh, Lord, how about I be a pastor? How about I be a youth pastor? I would see evangelists. They're out in front of people every night. They're uh, friendly. They're outgoing. They're traveling. That's the only thing that appealed to me about being an evangelist. I love to travel. I've been to all 50 states and several foreign countries. I love traveling. And uh, other than that, anything else about evangelism, that did not appeal to me as a teenager. And I fought that call for three months, and finally I surrendered. I was a communion service. It was a Sunday night. And uh, I got saved on a Sunday night. I, got, I surrendered my life to the Lord on a Sunday night, and I surrendered the call to be an evangelist on a Sunday night service. I preached my first message in a church service on a Sunday night. God has changed my life on a Sunday, in Sunday night services. And kind of a side note, I'm thinking about it. You know, I, I, God may want to change your life here tonight. Now, we could have put, it, put God in a box and say, well, God's only going to work this much in my life tonight. No, he, this may be the best service for the whole week for you. <laughs> this may be the one that God has for you. And, uh, and so God's changed my life in his Sunday night services. When I was 15, I surrendered. My greatest fear I had was, can I trust God to mold me and make me to be an evangelist? I did not have the personality of an evangelist, it seemed, and, and uh, there was just nothing that appealed to me. And I went off to Bible college, and I remember uh, Brother Comfort, who is an evangelist, uh, uh, travels an evangelist over 60 years. He says, I don't know of a man that doesn't have preaching in his, uh, that God's called to preach, doesn't have preaching in his bones. Not rebelliously, but I thought, well, I don't. You know, and it wasn't, you know, something like, you know, yeah, I don't have, it's, it's but that because preaching's a trial. <laughs> I hated getting up in front of people. It wasn't fun. Uh, I didn't enjoy it at all. And so uh, eventually, though, God changed my desires. Uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also, Lord, he should give thee the desires of thine heart. Eventually, I did an internship with Evangelist Rich Tozer, and, and, and then God really just started, like, I want to do this. I'm not, I've been called to do it. Now I want to do it. And uh, we've been in evangelism now 12, over 12 years, and, and that just is astonishing to me. That, uh, you know, being able to do this, and Megan kind of laughs at me sometimes. I've already said it to her this year, but I'm like, can you believe we get to do this? You know, I'll say it to her before a service, like, we're it. Like, you know, we're, we're doing what, uh, what God's called us to do. And, and uh, it just it thrills my heart to serve the Lord in this way. But, but uh, when it comes to preaching, it's not something that comes natural for me. It's, uh, it's something I've worked at a lot and I still have more, uh, much more work to do. I, I try to work on it. In my life, but uh, but preaching is very daunting. You know, you've got, of course, right now you got the Super Bowl and things, and you're trying to, in a way, compete with all of that and trying to keep people's attention. And it's uh, not an easy thing to do, but uh, there is a power that is greater than anything, and uh, God can move in a moment. And so, uh, there's a couple of quotes I, I want to uh, just say before we get to our passage. But uh, my uh, I was one of my homiletics classes or preaching classes. There was a quote by a preacher by the name of Matthew Simpson. Matthew Simpson pastored in the 1800s, and uh, I believe in Philadelphia. He said this of the preacher and, and preaching. He said, "His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. 
The Savior, unseen, is beside him. The Holy Spirit broads over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. What associations, and what a vast responsibility. That's preaching. (laughs) My homiletics teacher, Pastor Surratt, said, the preacher stands in a unique position of introducing people to God. He went on to say, don't misquote God. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6, a familiar passage, hopefully, uh, to many of you. Isaiah chapter 6, I, it's hard to narrow down a favorite passage or a favorite chapter uh, in the Bible. In the Old Testament, I believe this is my favorite passage in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the preacher gets a vision of the holiness of God. He's confronted with God's presence. And we find here in Isaiah chapter 6, begin in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. When I was in school, I went to Christian school all my life. I'm very blessed. My mom and dad were Christian school teachers for the most part uh, throughout my life. And, and uh, I wasn't a bad kid. I was a good kid. Hang out with, you know, hang out with some good, the good kids and things. But I didn't get in trouble much. But I remember this one time when I did get in trouble. And uh, I was, I think it was probably in second or third grade. And we were at the, this Christian school. And it was a large school. And, and we had a recess time. And there's always a teacher that was watching us at recess. And so uh, we're playing kickball. And, and there was a hill that, uh, that the ball got kicked up onto the, the top of this hill. And we're looking around. Now, we're not allowed to go on this hill. Uh, That's off limits. And so you've got to ask the teacher to go get the ball on the hill. And so I, uh, we're looking around for the teacher. We don't see her. And I thought, you know what? Out of anybody that's playing kickball right now, I'm a teacher's son. I have the right, the privilege to go up on that hill and I can get the ball more than anybody else. And so I went up there, I went up and I grabbed that ball and I came down and uh, and then I looked up and you know who was right there? The teacher. She saw the whole thing and she says, Tim, you know you're not supposed to go up on that hill. You know that's against the rules. Now, what would happen typically was that you would get a write-up and so it would be, you know, put in a note somewhere and that that may or may not uh, have been seen by my parents. And so I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get this referral, get this what write-up and... And she says, now I'm not going to give you one of those. I thought, oh, good. 
She says, you're going to tell your parents what you just did. And I'm like, oh, no. And I remember that day. And uh, I remember when uh, my dad applied the Board of Education to my seat of learning. And, uh, and so I remember that day. But, but uh, you know, I thought because of who I was that I had a special privilege to do what I just did. Uh, but I didn't. You know, our position doesn't just doesn't mean that we're holy. And just because I'm an evangelist doesn't, you know, just my calling or, you know, my title doesn't mean that I'm a holy man, uh, that I'm walking in holiness. Same thing is true with all of our titles, which is Christian. And, uh, and we find here that Isaiah, he is preaching strong uh, to the people of Israel, but now he gets confronted with God. Now he gets confronted with his person, and he is absolutely going to be humbled and uh, going to be seen uh, uh, for who he really is. We pick it up here in, uh, in verse number 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. What needs to die in your life to get your eyes back on Christ? We have so many things. Uh, you, you know, you can have uh, you know, the sun. Uh, you know, it's, it's so bright and all that, you know, 93 million miles away. But if you hold a dime close enough to your eye, you can block out the sun. There are people that hold things so close that they can't even see God. What needs to die in your life in order to see the Lord? That He is uh, that, who He is. And, and uh, Isaiah, what's the, the first thing he sees? He sees Him sitting upon a throne. Now, this is... Uh, this is his authority. This is his seat. This is his position. He's high. He's, he's in this throne. And, and uh, Micaiah had a similar vision in 1 Kings 22.19. He says, hear, therefore, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. You see, the God of the Bible rules over, rules and reigns over all men. Uh, he can take down kings and set others up. Uh, in Proverbs 27.1, The heart of the king is the hand of the Lord, as rivers of water, he turneth it, whithersoever he will. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. He is upon his throne. He is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. No one will ever take his throne away. The devil, he, Lucifer, he sought to exalt his, he says, I want to lift, I want to exalt my throne above the throne of God. But that's his position, and nobody will, will uh, uh, take his throne away. And then we see the position is high and lifted up. Again, he is exalted above all. He's head above all. Uh, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. When's the last time you are just still? Just to just stop and say, God, I'm going to, like we did just now. I didn't plan that. To, I, I wasn't planning on that today. Lord, just put that on my heart uh, before the service tonight. But, but to, to just stop and be still. Just think about Him. Be still and know that I'm God. I was talking to a man last week. Uh, uh, goes to a very large uh, community church in our area. and He says, you know, it, it seems like people have so much of their focus upon the news. And, uh, and they're just really not... In God's word, the, you know, the Christians are, are so immature. They really don't know much of the Bible. And I said, yeah, you're right. And, and, uh, and it seems like, a, uh, as Billy Sunday, Billy Graham used to say this too, Billy Sunday said, a newspaper in one hand, the Bible in the other, to kind of uh, you know, show how the Bible applies to the world today. 
But so much of us, we're looking at all the news and all these other things the Bible's just left aside. And we're all discouraged, we're all defeated, and, and yet, uh, yet we're neglecting God's word. I, uh, so often I think of David and Goliath. Here's Goliath, he's mocking God, the armies of God, the people of God, and they're all cowering in fear, including the leader, Saul. Where is it that someone has a deep passion in his heart for what? For the glory of God, like David did. This young man says, who is this Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. And he was, he had such courage and such boldness. Why? Because he knew that the battle was not between Goliath and David. He knew that the battle was between Goliath and God. And so we live so defeated in such discouraged lives because we're focusing on all these other things and we don't have our eyes upon the Lord. That He is the one that is high and lifted up. Be still, He says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. Psalm 108, verse 8. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth. And then you see His position. You see His, his throne, His seat. But then we notice His presence here. It says, in His train, fill the temple. What is His train? It's His high royal robe. Uh, his presence, uh, uh, Revelation 15, 8 says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no man was able to enter into the temple. You see, this uh, throne is a throne of glory before which we must worship. It's a throne of government under which we must be subject, and it's a throne of grace to which we may come boldly. This throne is high. It's lifted up above all uh, competition and contradiction. Psalm 86 in verse 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of them to all about Him. We have lost the fear of God. That holy reverential awe of God. Have you lost your awe of God? Of who He is, His person, the awe of His Word, the awe of your salvation, what He's done for you? We've lost the fear of God. I, I live in Sacramento, and I was talking to a man who, who's at the Capitol every week, one of our preacher friends, and, and uh, it just, you know, it's like, man, there's just so much wickedness in this place. And we wish they, they feared God. And I wish that the people in the state capital of Sacramento feared God. We wish the people in the state capital here would fear God. We wish the people in our U.S. capital would fear God. But oh, that it would go back to the churches that our churches would come back and we would, that we would fear God. There's an evangelist in California out of Sacramento that needs to have the fear of God. Uh, he needs to, to have that fear. and We ought to have that fear of the Lord of who He is. Again, getting our eyes upon Him. Getting our eyes off of these other things. Habakkuk 2.20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Luke 12.4 says, And I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell, yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's Luke 12, 5. And we ought to have the fear of God upon us. We've lost the fear of God. We've lost the awe of God. And so he sees him high and lifted up. He sees him exalted. And that presence, that royal robe, and his glory is, is uh, just filling the, the temple. He says there in verse number 2, it says, Above it stood the seraphims. The word seraphim means to burn. This is the only time this name, these, uh, uh, these creatures are, are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, the seraphims. 
Uh, one of my favorite hymns, probably my favorite hymn. It's hard to get one of the, you know, nail one down. I think my favorite hymn is Holy, Holy, Holy. And whoever wrote that song, I can't remember if it was Hebrew, I, I can't remember the, the, the author of it, but he talks about the seraphim. He knew this passage. He wrote that, that uh, hymn based upon the things he learned from Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, the seraphims are closely related to holiness. The same thing with the cherubs. Now they have six wings. Now with two of those wings, they hide their face, which could denote their humility before God. Uh, you know, and you think about it. Here are these sinless seraphims. They're in deep humility and reverence before God. And yet, you and I, we, uh, someone said, uh, it was Leonard Ravenhill, says, we, in America, we don't come boldly to the throne of grace. We lounge all over it. It's true. <laughs> and that was probably said in the 70s. <laughs> 70s or 80s. He went and told me to be with the Lord in the 90s. Here are these sinless seraphims. They're in deep humility and reverence because of the holiness of God, the glory of God. They have their wings, they're covering their face. Then the other wings, they're, they're covering their feet, which could denote their service to God. And then they're, the other two, they're flying about proclaiming a message. What is the message? Holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You see, it's God's holiness that is a theme throughout the Word of God. It is His, His number one attribute. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? 1 Samuel 2, 2, There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside Him. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Psalm 99, verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. You see, first and foremost, God is holy. Out of all the words that are used to describe God in the Bible, those adjectives, the number one word is holy. I, when I think about God, I think about His mercy, that He's been so abundantly merciful to me. I think about His love. And, and all, yet all of the words that are used to describe God, it's holy. You see, the best way I can describe God to you tonight is that He is holy. His holiness is the foundation of all of His other attributes. You see, because God is holy, He is merciful. Because God is holy, He is loving. Because God is holy, He is gracious. Because God is holy, He is just. And everything about God is holy. His justice is holy justice. His grace is holy grace. His mercy is holy mercy. His love is holy love. He is holy. What's the, uh, what's the highest thought that you could think about God? He's higher than that. What's the greatest thought, the biggest thought you could think about our God? He's greater than that. And you start out meditating on His attributes like we did a little bit tonight and thanking Him. Or thank you for your mercy. The greatest thoughts you can think about is mercy. Psalm 136, every verse says His mercy endureth forever. It's greater than that. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by the love of God? <laughs> Just brought you to tears. You think about the love of God. And it, yet it, that love, is, as uh, the songwriter said, uh, you know, if we, uh, if we were to write it out, 
uh, there upon the sky. And we would not be able, uh, we would not be able to ride it all out. The oceans would be would be drained if it were ink. Uh, there would be no more uh, sky because we just we couldn't uh, uh, fathom how great God's love is for us. And that's just one of his many attributes. He is so much higher, so much greater, so much more holy than we can even imagine. Someone said, you cannot think high enough thoughts about God, but you ought to try. We ought to think higher thoughts. You see, we live such low, defeated lives because we have such a low view of God. We need to have a high and holy view of God. If there is a verse, there is... I just should say, this verse describes my heartbeat. This is my heart and my and the ministry. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. My passion is that God would be exalted, that He would be lifted up, that He would be seen. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and then this next part, with Him also. You see, God is so great and so mighty, but what is He? Who, who's His attention to? With Him also. Of Him that is of a broken, of a contrite heart. You see, there's an intimacy there. Uh, Psalm, 30, or Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I believe the sweetest word in that verse is my. <laughs> oh, God is so great. He's so holy, but He's so personal. Out of all creation, His attention is upon us. <laughs> He didn't die for the other creation. He died for us. His attention is upon us. What, is he, he, what does He want? He wants to be with us. That's His passion. To be with us and to revive us. He says there too, with Him also to the contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now, holiness, what is it? It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from something, to be set apart unto something. So there is absolutely no sin, no iniquity in God. He is majestically clean. He's majestically pure. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13 says, Thou art of pure eyes and behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you uh, is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And so this holy God, in order to get closer to Him, we have to be holy. Now what am I talking about? I'm talking about revival. You see, we're set apart from God right now because there's sin. There's hardness. There's coldness. There's callousness. We're so distracted. We've got our eyes on everything else. Instead of being consumed in Him and set apart from, from those things that hinder us, we're not drawing nearer to Him. We're not closer to Him. You see, when revival starts... When the pursuit of Him starts, and that that uh, forsaking of those sins, that we're going to be holy, we're going to be set apart from sin, set apart unto God. But then the revival will stop when we get our eyes off of Him and go back to the things that we enjoy and our sins and all of that. So God's called us to holiness. In Revelation 15.3, I don't know what the music's going to sound like in heaven, but here's the words. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the Song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who will not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou only art holy. And so Isaiah sees God in his holiness. He sees him in his glory. 
Verse number 3 says, And they cried one to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved, the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. I wonder why the post of an animate door would, would move, and yet the hearts of men remain motionless when we think about the holiness of God. We have here His glory. Ezekiel 10 and verse 4 says, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with a cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. God wants to be seen. He wants to be exalted. He wants to be glorified. Oh, I'm, I read this morning in my devotions. This is what's led to the, ser- to the sermon tonight. I was reading about Moses and how that he struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. There's two reasons why God says you're not going to see the promised land. Number one, because of the sin of unbelief. And number two is you did not sanctify me in front of the people. Wow. And I said, God, help me today to sanctify you in front of the people. Help me not to suffer from the sin of unbelief. Here's God in His glory. He's exalted above all. I was watching a documentary on the Grand Canyon, and they were showing some incredible footages of this uh, uh, mile-wide, mile-deep canyon. Uh, Probably some of you have been there before. Scientists uh, then talked about the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. And uh, these experts, they uh, said, uh, now we're not sure how it was all formed, but it uh, must have taken about 50 million years and a whole lot of water uh, to form that Grand Canyon. And, and I know they can't hear me, but I start you know, talking to them and saying, um, that's the flood, you know, read Genesis, you know, I know exactly how that happened. Uh, and so you know, they're talking about the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. If you've never seen it, pictures just don't do it justice. I mean, you just see, you, you, you know, for us, we see our God is so big and us is so small. But then they started talking about the flowers that grow out of the, 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 the cleft of these rocks. I mean, there's a, you know, a whole uh, mile straight down, and yet here's this little tiny flower and, and all the different details that are going on in just that little tiny flower. And when I was watching that, I thought, that's my God. Oh, He's great. It's grand. It's big. But in just those little tiny things there's great glory you know i desire that god answer big prayers in my life we ought to pray big prayers but you know god also desires even those little prayers to answer those little things oh don't miss out on the little things that god does in your life he wants to get glory in those things as well and so isaiah he gets that vision of god and and as he gets that high and holy view of god he then gets a right view of himself Look at verse number 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think of Exodus chapter 3 and Moses, his encounter with the Lord. He said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy, fa- thy, off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You and I cannot even gaze into the sun, but just for a few moments before we have to turn our face away. What's going to happen when we get into the presence of God? What's going to happen when we see Him and His glory and His holiness? Isaiah gets that vision of God 
and he sees him as him as who he truly is apart from him. Now, for the first five chapters, Isaiah is preaching to the people of Israel. Now he gets confronted with God, and now he says, Woe is me. He was saying, Woe is them. Now he's saying, Woe is me. You know, revival is God's finger pointing right at me. Doesn't matter what anybody else does, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. When you get, when God sends a reviving heart to you, you're not worried about all the other people. It's, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I can't change someone else's life. I can't make the decisions for them, but I can do something about Tim Schmidt. Uh, and so a revival is God's finger pointing right at me, and this is what's happening with Isaiah. He sees God's pointing right at him, and he says, Woe is me. I think of Peter and and uh, uh, he says, Simon Peter saw it, and he fell down on his feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You think of Paul and, and, and how Paul was, uh, his name means big, and then God changed his name to Saul, which means little. And uh, this big shot became a little shot. Uh, Job, after uh, all the things that he went through, he says in uh, verse number 5 of chapter 42, I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, our view of God affects our behavior. A light view of God produces a light view of sin. A high and holy view of God produces a hatred for sin. You see, we take our sin too lightly. I'm not talking about the sins of this world. I'm not talking about your neighbor's sins. I'm not talking about other people in your family since you, you know, uh, we ourselves, we take our sins so lightly. We ought to have a holy hatred for our sin. We ought to call our sin what God calls it. Treat it as God treats it. Hate it like God hates it. In my prayer time, I have a, different questions I'll ask myself. And one of those is, am I losing my hatred for my sin? And many times, yes, Lord, I'm losing my hatred. Revive that holy hatred Help me to see it through your eyes, to be angry at it, to have have your passion against it. Isaiah 64, verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Here's Isaiah. He confesses, "My, my lips. God, I have unclean lips. And who hasn't offended in word? James chapter 3 and verse 2, uh, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not a word, the same as a perfect man, who is able also to bridle the whole body. Oh, our tongue can get us in so much trouble. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Matthew twelve thirty six says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. The best of men in the world have reason to be ashamed of themselves because of the holiness of God. We are all nothing before God. We're all as dirt pots. Again, I mentioned it yesterday, and Valentine's made good, but there is no righteousness in me. There's no goodness in me. Anything you enjoy or like about Tim and Megan Schmidt, that's God through us. There is nothing in us that is righteous, that is good, that, uh, that, uh, that you would desire, but it's, it's God through us. And the same thing is true with you. Isaiah, he gets a glimpse of the, of the holiness of God, and now he sees the enormity of his sins. It's the last time you've been broken over your sin. 
I were made up different creatures emotionally. When's the last time you cried, though, over your sin? That you had that broken, contrite heart? You see, if, if we don't get to this spot right here and having a broken and contrite heart, uh, we're not going to see God do a reviving work in our hearts. If my people which are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. This is where it starts. It's that humility. It's that brokenness. That's where it all starts. If we don't get to this spot right here and become broken before God over our sin, uh, we can't move on to the next things that God wants to do in our lives. In our men's meeting this year, this past year, and, and uh, how many of you were there? The men were there for the early bird session. You were there for the early bird session? All right. Uh, that early bird session, uh, God uh, uh, worked all of that out. I'll have to tell you the background of that later on, I guess. But but uh, I was a squirming at that point, uh, just as a, as an inside information. But uh, the Lord, uh, uh, a couple of weeks before that, I was in a revival meeting in a church in North Carolina, and I'd done this once before, but uh, uh, not not with a church, but uh, with some pastors. Well, I also did it with some teenagers, and and we got out a whiteboard, and the pastor wanted us to have some time of prayer. And I asked the congregation, I said, what are some sins that we bring to a revival meeting like this? And so, you know, we started talking about it. Well, a hard heart, bitterness, uh, pride, uh, fear, anxiety. You know, we're going through these things and we're thinking of verses and, and so on to, to coincide with that. And, uh, and we probably went about 20 minutes. And then I said to the people, I said, you know what, let's just go home <laughs> because we need to get things right with God. This is, it's not just going to get fixed right here just at this invitation time. We need to get home and get right with God. And, uh, and the Lord worked in a powerful way. The pastor was writing down the different things, and he came up to me and he says, Tim, so I'm writing that down, but he says, it's me. I'm guilty. I'm the one that's guilty of all these things. And, uh, and God broke him too, and God broke me. And, and, uh, and my pastor, I told him about it, he says, we need to do that at the men's meeting. I said, there's no time uh, for the men, you know, to do it at the men's meeting. And, and uh, he says, we need to get a whiteboard. And, and uh, so we looked around, couldn't find a whiteboard. And, and, uh, and he says, well, I'm going to order one. So he orders ones on Amazon, $260 or so. And big old whiteboard in our, for our church. And, and uh, he says, I want you to do it the next time you preach at Faith Baptist. Well, every Wednesday night before the men's meeting, uh, I'll be there and I'll, I'll lead in a time of prayer. And, and so that Wednesday night, uh, he says, Tim, the, I've ordered the whiteboards coming on Wednesday. Like, all right, I'll do it Wednesday with our church. And so uh, Wednesday, Megan and I put that whiteboard together and, and uh, get to the service. And so I'm like, all right, we're going to do this in our prayer time tonight. We're going to have just a time of confession of sin. And so I, the pastor comes to me and he says, Tim, did you put that whiteboard together? I said, yeah, I did. And he said, all right, thank you. And he says, uh, the markers and everything else is coming in tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, man, now I can't use the whiteboard. We don't have any markers. And uh, so then the Lord opened up with uh, Dwight Smith not being able to make it to the meeting that day, uh, his flight, uh, I miss his flight. And so God had us do that time of confession. And I tell you, you start thinking about and writing them down, it's convicting. I mean, there's a lot that we have in our life. There's, there's so much, and again, it's like an onion just to peel off one layer after another after another. You say, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's the psalmist saying? God, show me the sins that you see. And there's things that we see uh, you know, on the surface, but God, you show me the sins that you see in my life. And then I'll pray sometimes, I mentioned this last night too, I'll pray, God, be thorough with me. 
Lord, I don't want to just be cleaner. I want to be clean before you. I want to be thoroughly right with you. And I tell you, those confession times that I've had with the Lord, they're not enjoyable uh, in the beginning. They're not. They're hard. And, uh, and sometimes it will be five minutes. Sometimes it will be 10, 15, 30 uh, I mean, there's time, it's been hours that, that just God has just peeled off one layer after another after another. There is so much arrogancy, so much pride that's in me. And God just has to, to tear off all of that. Uh, and, and yet, uh, there's nothing like being thoroughly right with God. Psalms 32.1, uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, David had one of the most blessed experiences with God and that he was thoroughly repentant over his sin. Psalm 32.1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We went to, uh, we had all these sins, we had the whiteboard up, and it was a big whiteboard, had it in the front, and I was just going to do the front. My pastor, he was writing them all down. He flips it around to the back, and we filled up all of the back, all of these sins. And I said, all right, men, the men's meeting, I said, let's just get to the altar, let's you know, kneel down there at the chairs, and, and let's get these things right before God. If we want to see God work in this men's meeting, and, and so the men filled the altar, and and I was going to mention the whiteboard one more time. And as, as we're all praying, my pastor is wiping all of those sins, erasing them all away. And when we all stood up, that whiteboard was completely clean. And what was really neat was that it was a brand new whiteboard. It never had been used before. So it just, it just shined. <laughs> you know, and that's the same thing as with the Lord. Oh, if we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, come unto me. Uh, and he says, come unto uh, uh, Isaiah 1.18. Uh, oh man, what's the verse? Uh, uh, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as, uh, as, uh, as wool. Though they be uh, red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. And so God wants us to come to Him with those sins and, and confess them and say the same thing about them. That's what it means, confess, to say the same thing. Call your sin what God calls it. Treat it as God treats it and receive by faith the forgiveness and cleansing of those sins. When God convicts you of it, can you confess it? You confess that sin one time, that's all you need to confess it. And after you've done confessing it, thank Him for the forgiveness of it. Admit it, quit it, and forget it. All right? Admit it, quit it, and forget it. Here's Isaiah. He says, I am undone, but what does God do? He cleanses him of sin. He says there in verse number 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Oh, what a, uh, what a blessed time it is to know that there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. That we are right with God. Now I, uh, I'm not going to quite go into all the other ones, but verse number eight. And as and before he was able to get to that next step of being used, he had to be cleansed. And it says there in verse number eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send? And who will go for us?" Then said I, "Here am I. Send me." I mean, to me, this refers back to even the ten lepers. I mean, when you get cleansed, uh, I mean, how do you say thank you back to God? You live your life as a thank you back to Him. Say, God, here I am. <laughs> Send me. Whatever you want, God. I'm all yours for what you've done for me. I mean, just the forgiveness of sins. Uh, I'm trying to wrap this up, but I'm, I was in Oregon a few weeks ago when I was witnessing to a man who was a homeless man. And this homeless man, uh, he's very intelligent. I believe he had two master's degrees. 
and he uh, was uh, a, uh, a surfing instructor in Hawaii for several years. And as I, he's telling me that, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. In great shape. I don't know how he's messed up his life and things, but he grew up Mormon, and, and uh, we're talking and things, and he says, yeah, he says, I've tried all kinds of different religions, and, and uh, he says, I've done a lot of studying, and he says, in this one class, and I don't remember what it was called, or, but something maybe about transmeditation, I don't know, but, but he said they, uh, they said there was a, a hundred things that they would list. of If you could have any one of these hundred things, what would you want? And, you know, there's whatever it is, unlimited money, you know, home, whatever it might be. And, and the number one thing he said that everybody wants is peace of mind. I said, I've got that. He says, I know you do. I can see it on you. I said, I have that because of Jesus Christ. How can you pay for that? God's the one that gives it. <laughs> that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. And God gives that to us. You can't work for that. You know, there's not enough money to buy that. And yet God gives that freely. And he was so close. And uh, my pastor friend and I, were, we were uh, witnessing together with him and going through John chapter 3 and Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus had all the outside religion. But he needed the change from within. And this man, uh, uh, he says, yeah, you know, I know about religion. <laughs> and he says, that is so appealing to me. Wow. A change from the inside. He says, I like that. And he was so close. <laughs> Didn't get saved, but I uh, was still praying for him. Maybe, you know, some plant to others water and God gets the increase so somebody else can get the increase on that man. But, but uh, you know, God wants to change us from within. He wants to give that peace of mind. And, and here, Isaiah, just as a, to me as a thank you that, God, here I'm all I am, all I have. Here am I, send me. Now, in closing... I've memorized this verse. My very first message in a church was out of Isaiah chapter 6. And for years, it just bothered me. It just intrigued me, I should say. Why does it start off in the year that King Uzziah died? What's the significance of that? Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. King Uzziah was a good king. God really used him and wrought uh, some great victories through him. He started when he was 16 years old. He reigned for 34 years. He died at the age of 50. Verse number, there's much we can go through. It says, he, verse number 4 of, I, of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 26 says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all this Father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding of the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Several pastors that I've been with, they have that phrase in their office. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. It goes on to talk about how he had, uh, God used him to, to get different victories. And uh, went forth and warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath. And verse 7 says, and God helped him against the Philistines. And uh, he did, goes on to the different uh, things. And then verse uh, number 14 says, and he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name uh, spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped. God really helped him to win some great victories. But then this next phrase, till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. 
his, he transgressed against the Lord as God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Here is King Uzziah, who's being used of God in some great ways, and he thought, because of my position as king, I can, as it were, go up on that hill. <laughs> I can go into the temple. I can give this, this incense. I can do this because I am king. No, God is holy. And Uzziah profaned the holiness of God, and it cost him his life. Look there in verse number 18. Well, verse number 17 says, Fourscore priests and the Lord, uh, they stood against him. It says, uh, verse 18, And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, and thou shalt, thou shalt be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest... Now, I thought, here's King Uzziah. You know how he died? He died of leprosy. I thought, in just my mind, is that when King Uzziah went into the temple, right then, God smote him with the leprosy. He's in there. He shouldn't be in there. He's, uh, he should be out of there. But it, but it wasn't once when he walked in. You notice the progression. They, he was confronted with his sin. Then he responds in verse number 19 in anger. And look what God does. Then was Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest and the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a silver, silver, uh, several house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. In the year the king Uzziah died. Here's a man that when, confront, when, when he profaned the holiness of God, and when he was confronted with his sin, he responded in anger. And I imagine when Isaiah is thinking about all of that, I need to respond in brokenness. I need to respond in humility. It is imperative that when God confronts you with sin, that you respond in humility and brokenness and not in anger. Oh, he thought that because he was king, he had some special privilege to enter into that temple. But he profaned the holiness of God. And Uzziah's distorted view of God, his, his forgetfulness of, and, uh, and rejection of God's holiness cost him his life. You see, your view of God really is a matter of life and death. Oh, Isaiah, he responded in humility. Uzziah responded in pride and anger. What's your response to God's conviction tonight? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll pray here in a few moments. Is your heart right with God right now? What's in between your soul and the Savior? 
Maybe you've forgotten you've had such a low view of God. You've had such a light view of sin. But you see tonight that you need to have a high and holy view of God. We've all been there. You say, preacher, I need to get back to having that high and holy view of God and having that hatred for my sin. Preacher, I've had that low view of God. I want to get back to having that high and holy view of God and have a hatred for my sin. Would you please pray with me on that? With heads bowed and eyes closed, and we're looking around. If that's you, just slip your hand. Pray for you.